Hey folks, this is Dylan and I want to welcome you to the Eat Wild Podcast. This podcast is about learning to hunt, it's about conservation and mentorship and adventures and over the course of uh, the next little while here I hope to bring forward a bunch of interesting guests and tell some stories and hopefully take you on a few adventures, so check it out. Grubasich, and uh, I've known Lance for a long time now, um, and I met him on uh, on our sort of family traditional hunting grounds, uh, where my grandfather has hunted moose for probably since the 1950s, and uh, maybe Lance, you can just sort of maybe mention how we got to know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, I started uh, hunting in British Columbia in the late 70s. I didn't like having to travel as far as what I did, which was up the Alaska Highway. So in 1980, I had asked politely a person from my work about possibility of, of a, an area that was closer that might be better for us to hunt. So anyhow, I was put on to what I fondly call Zippermouth River. Uh, Zippermouth Creek is right nearby also, as well as Zippermouth Mountain. Anyhow, I started hunting there in 1980. And I did very well there for quite a few years. And um, in 19, no, excuse me, in 2001 was when I first met Dylan and his father and um, Jeff, I believe, um, his other hunting partner, on the banks of the Zippermouth River. And uh, we became fast friends. It was, uh, it was pretty easy to see that these fellows shared the same kind of interests and uh, 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 j- 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 just could tell that they were the kind of people that uh, you could be, f- you become fast friends with and, and you share a lot of, uh, of the uh, uh, common things that we both look for, which is, you know, uh, picturesque country and uh, good hunting areas to um, to access and that kind of thing. And uh, anyhow, that's how I first ran into uh, Dylan. And of course, right away, there was a lot of uh, true stories shared on uh, both our parts. Correct, Dylan? Absolutely. Well, the, the part that was... So a couple things. Going back, so Zippermouth River, of course, right. is, is, a, is a pseudonym for an actual place. But of course... You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of a family, for, for us as a family, you know, my, my grandfather used to, like, take his birch bark canoe up Zippermouth River, and he would, mm-hmm. uh, him and his hunting partner would, would spend two weeks on the river fighting their way up through and hauling their canoe over the beaver dams, and they just hang out on the river long enough until a couple of moose, mm-hmm. you know, managed to wander out, and, and uh that would that would feed our family for well it fed our family for many many years so so it was sort of our traditional hunting area um, mm-hmm. and similar to you like you and your father have hunted yeah. hunted that area since at least like, since the 70s. 1980 1980 okay um, anyways we must have passed in the night many times because I, mm-hmm. I think we actually hunted 
uh, a little bit later than you, actually in October is when we traditionally would hunt okay. up that area. And I think the big difference is that you, you were there for the peak of the rut for the calling season. Right. And, right. and we were there for what we thought at the time was like some type of migration of when the moose would move out of the high country and move down lower. Mm-hmm. And then we would drift the river in the hopes that the moose were down lower and higher densities and right. catch them. Right. So, so the interesting thing is about, about you know, meeting Lance for us and our crew is that we were kind of, basically I would say we were fluke hunters. Like we would drift mm-hmm. the river one day and if there was a moose standing on the riverbank, we'd, we'd get it. And the next, and we'd be so cold by the end of the day, like mm-hmm. so wet and cold and miserable for spending the day in the boat, that the right. next day we'd have to drive around in, in a warm truck and drink coffee all day. And warm and, up. And warm up and mm-hmm. hope that we blunder into a moose somewhere along the way. Yeah. Um, anyways, one year we were doing our traditional sort of hunt, hunting methods. And we were having our... So before I go there, on average we'd kill a moose, my dad and I. On average we'd kill one moose over the course of 10 days of, you know, basically fluke hunting or road hunting or right. hunting. Anyways, we, we were there and we were hunting our, we were hunting hard for about, I don't know, six or seven or eight days and we hadn't really seen a moose or, um, and we'd stop in and we'd visit you at your camp. By then we kind of got to know each other a little bit mm-hmm. and you guys were, you guys had already had a bull that year, I believe. Right. Yeah. So we, you had a, a bull hanging in camp or a bag. Yes, which we did. Yeah. And so every day we'd stop in on you and have a visit, and you'd have video of the moose that you'd called in that day. Mm-hmm. And you guys were like, you guys were basically sport hunting. You guys were trying to call yeah. in a two-point bull potentially if there was yes. one out there. Yeah. So the interesting part for me is that I would, I like the light went off for me that like you're a better hunter than us. Is <laughs> what went through my head. I'm not, I mean, and, and I mean that as a, a you know that. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the best thing that ever happened to our moose hunting because, yeah. you know, just the recognition that there was a better way of doing things than just, you right. know, hanging out in good habitat, which was our strategy, hanging out right. where there's a high density of moose in good habitat and, uh, and hoping for the best. Uh, mm-hmm. whereas you had a whole system that I had not, I didn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. So, so how, how, you know, in a few sentences, how, how do you, how was your strategy for hunting moose? Um, well, typically, um, I'm going to look for uh, fresh sign in, uh, in the, whether it's tracks or the smell of a scrape. As I, I may not even see the rubs on the branches because they may be off of the river too far, but oftentimes I'll just rely on my sense of smell. And uh, I, I'll smell a scrape. Um, and uh, sometimes, uh, you know, there'll even be a moose may have crossed one or two minutes prior to me and still the scent will linger in the air for quite a while especially one that's been in the rut for sure yeah you'll you'll smell them from a few hundred feet away and for a human to smell that far yeah he stinks (laughs) he stinks you smell that with moose sorry elk is just incredible yeah so yeah it's pretty riveting and you'll know after you smell your first one and somebody points out to you you will never forget that smell yeah and uh, so, uh, t- typically, yeah, tracks, uh, scrape smell, um, fresh rubs on, on willows, those are stoppers for me. I will, uh, I will uh, of course, not set up shop, so to speak, right there. I will generally uh, drift or motor past those kind of areas. 
and typically I will shut down my engine and I will uh, drift and paddle back and then generally find um, an area that is uh, going to be um, uh, you know uh, is going to work well once I get them coming to me and uh, so I generally like to set up uh, a little downstream if possible and uh, and always on the opposite side of where all the activity seems to be taking place. Occasionally you're going to set up shop and all of a sudden you got another one and usually it's another one, a different bull. He may be behind you and he may be coming more readily. So you have to plan also for those kind of events. Sometimes I've actually had to get back in the boat and drift further down mm, stream yeah. and then tie back up and get back out, if you will, and set up <laughs> an ambush for this other fellow, this yeah. other guy that is coming yeah. very readily. Yeah. Um, so where we're talking about here, just the, the river itself is a relatively slow meandering river. Correct. So that you can kind of drift up and down, and it's not a racing mm-hmm. racing river, so to no. speak, that's going to no. push you down. So you're so you're using the the river to access good moose habitat, and you bet. And then by drifting down the river, you're you're trying to access it without disturbing it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, presumably, we can. You could do this on foot as well if you were carefully walking mm-hmm. um, into a moosey area and just trying not to disturb it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in your case, you use um, you use your your boat to to access the yeah. river. Yeah, it's uh, it's it is their their backyard and their main thoroughfare, if you will. That river is that's that's where they live. That's where. They establish, especially their um, come the rut season, if you will. Um, that's where they're going to start establishing their scrapes and their rubs and their territory. And um, so it's a, it's a tremendous advantage if you can learn their habits and um, and figure out where you need to position yourself uh, to be successful. In, uh, in your calling ventures for, uh, for a big bull. Well, I shouldn't say just big bull. You may be targeting something smaller. I think anything for most people. <laughs> uh, pretty much. And, you know, in the early 80s when I first started to hunt there, I had some real luxuries, in the, and I'll never forget. One time we were in, the, in a canoe, my father and I, and, and uh, we have three bulls that come. Yeah. And there's a smaller one, a larger one, and a, and a huge one. And I took the little one. Uh, we were in a canoe, and why not? It's, it's easy to pack. It's way better table fare. And, um, and uh, we were able to get it to back up to our camp in, in uh, one load, so to speak. And we could have never done that with a huge moose. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, just uh, um, using either the, uh, there's also, into this river system comes uh, various small creeks that flow out of marshes uh, in, in quite a few areas. And, and we like to paddle into many of these uh, marsh areas. The water uh, is very, very slow moving. It's not deep. And it's often uh, times dammed up by, by beavers. And the only people that go in there are, uh, shall we say, a little more hardworking yeah, yeah. Um, kind of hunters. They're, they're not afraid to, you know, work a little harder to get into these areas that are 
not very readily accessible yeah. to, to yeah. most. Yeah, I think that goes without saying with most, with all hunting, the more you can move away from the river, the roads, where the access points yeah. are for the average hunter, and you push your way further into wilderness where there's undisturbed habitat, right. the, the critters are going to be more comfortable there, and they're also yeah. going to be more responsive to calling yeah. or... Uh, and 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 yeah, I certainly with elk hunting and, and find that yeah. very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of these marsh areas that are uh, right beside some of these um, uh, slow-moving uh, creeks, um, the timber is only uh, sometimes 30, 40, 50 yards, and so the moose are actually quite comfortable. And uh, and usually what I try to do is set up shop on the other side of this waterway. And on a little bit higher ground, once again, so I have a little better view. And oftentimes I'll draw them right out to the edge, and that's good enough because they're only 30, 40 yards from the water. So, yeah. Uh, we've we've uh, got many bull that way kind of thing. Um, yeah, so it's... Uh, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways to go about I guess but your first strategy is to find good habitat good habitat is and is, then position yourself around that yeah, habitat that's what I mean. yeah and 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 we talked about it before to patience it's a virtue it's uh, it's probably the biggest I think the biggest attribute you can have as a hunter is is patience because I can't I, I, I just could tell you the many many times where people didn't stick it out when the rut was only another day or two away from being triggered and and um and who am i to stop them if they don't want to stay and hunt and take a, a moose and then oftentimes i didn't know these other parties also and um I, you know and if they asked me my honest opinion i would uh, say the, the rut is about to start i wouldn't go anywhere but oftentimes i'd get up in the morning and that other camp's gone They've yeah. gotten discouraged. Yeah, they've gotten discouraged. The patience wasn't there. Yeah. And and uh, and the next day or two, they're running around. They're easy to call. They're coming readily. Yeah. So. But there's a magic day there where the, there's a peak activity. Yeah. Around. So so get into good habitat and then wait it out until their activity. Yes. You know, I, I find too, like we talk about, you know, when I think about even deer hunting, there's like, I'll go deer hunting for whitetail for 10 days because... There's only going to be there may only be a couple days in there that are really suitable for good stalking days or good yeah. activity days. Like there's a lot of days that are blowouts. It's either too noisy to wander around, yeah, or the deer aren't moving for whatever reason, mm-hmm. or the weather systems just doesn't work for you. And yeah. there'll be a couple days in there that you can actually yeah. hunt them effectively, or the way I like to hunt. Right. And and so you got to give yourself enough days to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And similarly with like with particularly with with a rut for either elk or moose like there's mm-hmm. a, there's peak activity periods associated yeah. with that that can be a little bit nebulous depending on the timing or weather mm-hmm. or or where you happen to be hanging out yeah so there's sometimes there's there's not much you can do except wait out that weather and you have a ses- sometimes systems that move in that uh, I've been on some trips where it rained almost incessantly for the entire Period. Yeah, that sounds like the, my experience in Zippermouth River. Yeah. That's why I haven't been there for a couple of years. Yeah. I got so rained on. I had to it's, give up. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's atrocious at times. and uh, But that's where sometimes it's a really good idea to have a, a nice, comfortable blind set up. 
in a productive area that you, especially if you've got the experience, you know that oftentimes, or I know oftentimes, that all it takes is a half hour or hour break and lull, if you will, in this stormy weather um, where the winds and the rain abate enough to, like, all of a sudden the bush comes alive. Yeah. And they will yeah, come totally. very quickly and readily because, you know what, they have to rut. They, they have to produce for next year. It's nature. Yeah, they got to do their thing. They're going to do their thing, so you just have to be there. And, yeah. and sometimes Set up the spot, so be ready, be patient, be in the good spots. Exactly. All right, so I want to get back to how we actually met or our first hanging out, but right. I'm going to just have a break here because Claire yep. seems to want to uh, contribute to our podcast. Claire's my dog, if you don't know, know that. Right. And she's... Uh, standing here demanding to be let, let out so we'll let, let's do that and we'll get right back to it so Claire's off terrorizing our mm-hmm. my backyard and the the raccoons that live out there now so mm-hmm. hopefully I'll keep her busy for a bit so I was um, so one the way I remember first hanging out with you Lance was we were we were having a hunt and and uh, we had hunting for a bunch of days and hadn't seen much of the way it moves and then we'd stop in and we, we'd visit with you mm-hmm. and you would show us some video of the moose that you'd called in that day mm-hmm. and I remember there was you guys were playing around with like a it's a massive 55 inch bull yeah it was roughly that size about 15 points on one side that I remember Jeez. called them right out into the middle of the river just below the grassy knoll which for the uninformed the grassy <laughs> knoll is well it was also involved in a terrible event in 1963, uh, uh, rather famous, the Grassy Knoll. Yeah, different Grassy Knoll. Yeah, different Grassy Knoll. But anyway, that's how I, I don't know, I just came up with that nickname and it's been... Well, it's a bit of a Grassy Knoll. It is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's a safe spot to shoot from. Um, and and, and, and it's, it's, it overlooks the valley and the river. In the old road system just immediately it's, below. It's a particularly good spot because it gives you vantage awesome. over an excellent piece of moose habitat. Exactly. And you've got great shooting corridors that you maintain, actually, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's also one of the things that I, you know, when I look, when I think about that spot and other spots like it where I've had mm-hmm. similar experiences, right. elk hunting or even whitetail hunting, where there's just... There's some places where animals do their thing, where they're really comfortable yeah. being in high... They, they, they frequent an area often in high mm-hmm. densities, and they're comfortable being there. So yeah. they're they're less suspicious to somebody calling in that location because they're used to... It's got to be a moose. It's got to be a moose. It's a moosey yeah. spot, right? Yeah. So... You know, I you know I've got a couple elky spots that you know mm-hmm. this it's just where elk like to be, so they feel very comfortable coming into those areas. Right. And same thing with my couple of favorite whitetail spots. They're just very busy places, and mm-hmm. when you're in there on the peak rut day and, and whitetail season, mm-hmm. that's where they're going to go. So you know, it's it's interesting, and I think very much that your grassy knoll spot is really has all those attributes. Yeah. Um. So, what on this on this trip where I first met, really hung out with Lance. He had been, he had, I think, called in 18 different bulls on the week that we were there. And we had seen one bull, I think, in that time. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I was trying to figure out how is it that you, you're able to see so many elk and, or so many moose. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's because you're calling them in and we're trying to blunder into them. Mm-hmm. So I had asked you, to, to say, you know, would you take me out for, mm-hmm. for a, 
for a uh, calling lesson. Right. And and you you obliged and you said sure be here at, you know half an hour before light and then we'll mm-hmm. we'll go and I'll teach you a thing or two and and uh, so I show up at camp we I hop on your choir if you recall and we, we yeah shoot I think, down, yeah it was one of my yeah. shoot down to your grassy knoll spot down the road and which mm-hmm. is at the end of a logging road and it kind of basically it's the the end of the logging road which then means that the the country and wilderness, sort of wilderness beyond there so it's quite the head of the valley and there's a fair bit of wilderness yeah. that feeds into mm-hmm. the area we're at. Anyways, we set up on this grassy knoll and you're sort of blind it's set up and we're overlooking the river and this nice piece of habitat. And then give me, why don't you just do the call for me that you did there? Okay. It would have probably been, uh, there's usually two calls that I'll use to imitate a female and uh, one of them is almost more uh cow-like in the sense that what you'd hear in a farmer's field from his own cows. So I'll use that one as an example. So it's, it's almost like a little bit like a cow that you would hear in a farmer's field. I got to tell you, it's extremely effective call. So the one that you did when I, when I was with you, it was almost, it was almost like... It wasn't anywhere near that loud. It was really quiet. Yeah. I recall that. Yeah. Why was that? I, I always start out with a, with a lower call because when, when, when you first get to, to the area, you have to be somewhat mindful of the fact that, well, okay, there could be a bull moose 50 yards away from you, 100 yards. You've got to remember, you've walked in quietly. You've uh, circumvented the area that you're going to be calling the bull th- through if you will so i've been quiet the whole time getting there and i have to assume that there could be a bull 50 yards 100 yards 200 yards distance and so i don't want to start out with a very loud call right away from the get-go so i will just have and that that was a bit loud what i used just now so um i would start out with a little lower call and typically actually i'll call like this that kind of a, a call yeah not much louder than than that yeah that was the part that was amazing because you gave one little bleat like like one little cow mm-hmm. call of that softer variety right <coughs> and it was amazing because so so we set up we sit down lance says okay you tucked in you're quiet you're ready to go i'm like yep lance goes quiet little call mm-hmm. and then you slapped me on the shoulder you said you said mm-hmm. don't shoot him until he's on the road and I'm like don't shoot what yeah and I and I and I didn't actually hear the first grunt mm-hmm. but you're tuned in so I'm you tuned knew, into that sound you knew what to listen for yeah. so I'm going what is he talking about don't shoot till he's on the road mm-hmm. well what had happened, I guess, is so right away a, a bull had responded mm-hmm. and, and, and and was coming in. And, and Lance says to me, don't shoot until it's on the road. I'm going to go down a little bit down the road and film it. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I'm, I'm kind of stunned by this is like, this is the extent of my lesson was like a, like about a, about a, you know, two second moose call. <laughs> and all of a sudden it was on. Next thing I know, I see this gigantic bull moose about 350 yards up river um just i can hear him i can hear him go 
And then I hear sploosh, and mm-hmm. I see him stepping in the water. Right. And he's walking right up the middle of the river towards us. And uh, just a beautiful animal. And he's kind of grunting the whole way. Like, oof, oof, oof. And he's displaying his antlers as he's walking down the middle of the river. And I got my instructions, like, don't shoot him. And it makes sense now. Like, don't mm-hmm. shoot him in the middle of the river. Yeah. And um, Angie comes out to our side of the river, steps up on the bank, and he's about 250 yards or something from us, which is a long shot for me, and especially then. And that was just 20 years ago. And, right. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm a little uncomfortable with shooting over, you know, at that range for sure. And um, nonetheless, I had my instructions. And unfortunately... As that moose came up and hung up there, right on the edge of the, in that in that timber there on the edge of the river, another another hunter actually drove down the road mm-hmm. and uh, in his, on his quad and and his, and basically drove right by our our quad that had a sign on the back saying "Road ends here." We're calling at the end of the road. Yeah. Please, please don't turn around. Please don't please disturb us yeah. if you don't mind. Yeah. And anyways, he he drove all the way down and then he got off his quad and had a pee and mm-hmm. scratched his you know. Yes. Yeah. And then ruined got, the moment for us. Yeah, definitely ruined the moment. But anyways, once that once that ATV had come down, it it had the moose lost his confidence in coming in. Or it, yeah. He didn't didn't want to come in after that. Yeah. Usually, when they're disturbed to that extent, where uh, you know a, a vehicle and somebody maybe even talking or whatever, they're gonna, it's it's going to put a stop and a big damper on the proceedings. Sometimes it doesn't matter, but that doesn't happen all the time. And I've had within minutes, the moose loses his fear again because he's like, my hormones are raging, right? Or my testosterone levels yeah. are raging. Yeah. She, her hormones are raging and it's on. The game's on again. So yeah. I've actually had vehicles turn around and leave. And then a minute or two later, I call again. It's like, oh. Okay, I'm on my way. Yeah. You know, so um, don't sometimes get discouraged and think he may may actually turn around and, and, and trot or run away from the danger. But once the danger leaves and he hears it leave and you call again, I tell you, they forget pretty quickly sometimes. Yeah. Um, okay, that's interesting. Um, do we try and call him in after? I can't remember. I forget now, uh, honest to goodness, Dylan, I've actually called so many in. (laughs) And when I say this, I'm not bragging, but but I've called so many in that I kind of sort of forget. I mean, I got a lot on on film. There's a lot that I haven't filmed over the years. And um, so I sort of forget exactly what, what happened after that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun for me. I felt kind of ripped off because my calling less than like lasted less than two seconds. Didn't last all that. Long. Yeah, but I've had enough. So so Lance and I just tonight we did uh, our second annual uh, moose calling clinic. We were invited to. We were hosted at Cabela's here in the Lower Mainland in Abbotsford, mm-hmm. and uh, we 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 put on these elk and moose calling clinics every year. And and, and right. Lance is our 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 eat wild resident expert on. Um, on moose calling and we're very fortunate to have you and so it's been great actually hanging Thanks. out with you over over the ex- yeah. over a couple hours here to actually break down the components of of, of calling moose and and mm-hmm. uh, and for somebody who's you know I, i'd say you're pretty dedicated to moose hunting more more so than anybody i've ever met and yeah um would you say he's called in over 
You've been a part of how many? Well, we've probably gotten about, I would say, around 90 moose over the, the last uh, 35 years, mostly in that area. There's a few years where we didn't have draws where we had to go to other areas. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, I mean, honest to goodness, we could have actually got easily double that. Yeah. But yeah. we're not after... We're, we're very happy when, like my father and I came home with, for years with one moose to split yeah. amongst our two families. Yeah. And it was only in the, the probably early 1990s that I started to take two animals. And then um, I would say maybe the last 10 years we've been going as a party of, uh, oh, sometimes five or six guys good good people and uh, and so we have been taking two or three for probably the last 10 years yeah. but i know that the area is fine with me taking um you know say two or three um i i don't know that it would be fine if there wasn't say just my hunting party but say four or five or six other hunting parties in the area and we all started taking five yeah, or six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could change things quite a bit. Yeah. So anyhow, that's basically what we uh, we, we strive to, to try to get. We're always happy with one. You know what? If you can get one moose, you're doing good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if we get two, that's fantastic. And if we do get a third... Um, it's uh, it's um, we just just don't like to take more than what we can. Yeah, this year you guys have something crazy like with the two it's, with the three families combined, you have eight draws or something like that. We have eight draws, and, so. and but you know it's we don't want that many. Um, we'd be happy with two draws. We'd be ecstatic with four because that would allow each one of our four groups to to take a moose, so to speak. But. Yeah, but it's a, it's it's overkill, but you don't know. So you know that's why we apply uh, as many of us as as sort of like possible because. But we're never thinking that we're gonna get that many. Yeah. Um, the only upside I'm, that I'm not disappointed in is um, we've got a lot of the draws locked up, so to speak. So I'm not gonna see a lot of other hunting parties. Yeah. So so there's only I mean there might be 16 draws or 25 draws yeah. for the area you're in and right. if you guys are holding 8 of the yeah. 24 tags and yeah. that that this doesn't leave that many hunters out there to come stumble in there and yeah and screw you up or well I mean just occupy the area so yeah that's and, right and it's also good too for I mean you know that if you guys take three moose out of there for your three families mm-hmm. and that means yeah. five tags aren't going to get five tags are not going to get filled and you know what it's 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 those are the breaks I mean, we've had years where we were pretty lean, some years where we didn't get draws. It didn't happen often, but it did happen a few times, and uh, so we'll take the good with the bad, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. So so we had an interesting workshop, which was a lot of fun, because we were dealing mm-hmm. with, um, we got a group of people, 12 or 13 people that have you know, basically never had a moose before, right. and they're starting from square zero, and it's right. funny because I mean I remember sucking up to you for a couple years just to get that one two second lesson yeah. on how to call moose. Yeah, yeah. And these guys just show up to Cabela's tonight, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, give us fifty bucks and they get two hours of, of lance all to themselves. Yeah. You know, lucky them. Lucky huh? them. Yeah, Damn. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, if I had only known back there, I could have just given yeah. you 50 bucks. I could have yeah. gotten my two-hour lesson in. But mm-hmm. there was a couple things that I thought were interesting in, in you know, how things shaped up in our discussion. And, and uh, the first thing one was, was really about the setup. Like, we talked a lot about Colin, but really, we mm. really landed on the setup being so important for... Yeah. First of all, we talked about, you know, setting up somewhere that there's this good habitat. We talked right. about having good vantage over an area where you can mm-hmm. see. Um, the other one we talk, haven't talked about on the podcast is uh, is setting up for safety. What are some of the things you think about for ensuring your safety when it comes to bears or particular critters? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, what uh, what what I always try and make sure is is that basically um, I want um, a, an area to begin with more more so like I'm thinking for for, for moose and, and and the ability to be able to to move from that area left or right up or down uh, in a safe quiet manner and I I mean there could be there could be an instance where, well, there's been several instances where I have called, and, and much to my surprise, or not to my surprise, but here comes a, a, an animal, but it's it's not a, a moose. It's, it's a big grizzly. And um, so I was... Uh, so it, what, the animal that showed up is a big grizzly. And uh, so... It, Thank goodness we are in a in an open enough area that we can see him coming, and uh, and I was able to basically the, the animal came quite close uh, within. Well, your dad was with me the one oh, time. Oh, that time, yeah, he was your, awfully shaken your, up. After your that. your dad had the dubious distinction of having called. A grizzly himself that night, <laughs> and scared the living you know what out of himself. Yeah, yeah, radioed yeah. you guys. Yeah, and then later on that day, decides to ask me to help him get a moose, perhaps. Or yeah, call one in. Call yeah, get a lesson so, from you. Yeah. Yes. So I take him to the end of the road system where the grassy knoll is. Yeah. And we're walking along the roadway, which is only fifty feet away from the edge of the river, and all of a sudden, a bunch of ravens lifted. And uh, I had called out a bull there nine days earlier for my sister. So the gut pile should have actually gone down the river. And next thing I know, these ravens lift 50 feet away from us. And um, probably about an 800-pound, I would say pretty close to 800-pound grizzly. Very big, broad head on him. Dark chocolate brown makes his way quickly two three quick steps down the game trail towards us because you got to remember i've been calling like a cow as we're walking along the road your father's right beside me and all of a sudden i turn because i see out of the corner of my eye this bear rush make the first few rushing steps and i said to your dad grizzly and i turned and faced him and flipped the safety off and had the uh, crosshairs on his uh, nose, so to speak. And um, the bear, you got to remember, as you're walking along calling, he assumes a moose is coming. Yeah, yeah. And so when he took his first few steps, he saw movement up on the roadway 
From his vantage point, he's thinking the moose is there now. And as he starts to make his quick charge towards us, he realizes it's two ugly hunters in camel. Yeah. Stops in mid-flight, so to speak, and then um, uh, faces us down for the next 15, 20 seconds. And a lot of big mature boars will do exactly what he did. They don't like to show fear. He actually didn't turn around. He went sideways. So he walked his way sideways, if you will. Yeah. And voicing his displeasure and grunting. And and I didn't know it, but when I flipped the safety back to on, uh, your dad was down the road a ways. <laughs> he, He'd had enough of grizzly bears, so he was very, he was quite shook up, and, and I understand. It's, it's, it is a pretty, it is a little traumatizing for the, for a lot of people, especially when you've now called two. Two in one day, yeah. Yeah, he had two confrontations like that. So anyhow, this bear, uh, we had to quickly go back to where your dad had parked his truck because the bear was actually cutting up towards the road. Yeah, yeah. Is what yeah, happened. So yeah. we made quick he, uh, yeah. steps back and got back to the vehicle. He was acting pretty aggressive there. He was he was definitely acting aggressive and so you can't take a, a chance. And you gotta remember he's on a kill. Yeah he's got a food source right yeah, there. Yeah he's got his dinner and you disturbed him right in the middle of a meal. Yeah. Yeah so that makes so. sense. Okay so that's safety. So you want to keep good view corridors and you want to have you want to have the ability to have an exit corridor. Exactly. Things get hairy. So yeah. So the other thing we talked about a little bit at the workshop was, um, is having, so in my experience with moose hunting and my understanding from, you know, how my grandpa mm-hmm. taught me to hunt moose is that moose will always circle, behind, like if they hear a disturbance uh, and, or if they hear a call, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're going to look for, they're most likely they can't actually see where you are because you're concealed. Right. And in most moose country, it's not, their view quarters are quite poor. So they rely on being able to circle the the sound of the calling elk or calling moose. Right. And circle downwind in, in kind of a giant circle around mm-hmm. you and work their way around downwind of you so they can smell you. Yes. So they can either smell if you're a cow or if you're another bull. Right. Um, and in the process, they're trying to look 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 at you as well as they, as they circle around as they yeah. can get a visual on you. And then they and then eventually they they can get a hundred percent acknowledgement of who you are by right. getting your scent down below. So that's right. As you're setting up, you're thinking about trying to have a place where you can anticipate where that bull may circle down and around you, mm-hmm. and hopefully have some good views. Yeah. And and I would say you know within the first. Uh, few minutes of getting response and uh, knowing that he's coming you need to make decisions fairly quickly as to where you're going to position yourself there's been some times where as a caller I basically had to do the moving um, and uh, but most of the time I'm able to set up the shooter and leave him in a, in a, in a certain location and move past the shooter and basically draw the animal by the shooter um, quite often within you know 60 70 80 yard distance and because I've gone basically um, down 
down the road or downstream, so to speak, away from the shooter. Um, the moose is, um, is being drawn right broadside. That's what I want is I don't want that moose coming in straight to the shooter. I want him walking past him. Yeah. So now we have a big defined target. Yeah. Um, unimpeded by brush. That's what I want. I want him out on the sandbar, or I want him out on the roadways. So oh, good point. So yeah, I have you kind of want to have it figured out where he's going to come out in, in a nice clear open area where right. there's a shoot. He's, he's shootable. You can say, I guess. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah. Absolutely. So I know that. I know. So we this particular spot, the grass. You know, Lance hunts there till the end of September, and then we show up. And we hunt October 1st. There's two separate seasons that you can enter the draw for. So we go for the later draw so we don't compete with Lance's crew for for um, the same hunting spots, essentially. Uh, and we know how, when we walk up the road, typically you guys target shooting your moose on the road. And there's been years where I've shown up there on mm-hmm. October 1st and there's been three... Uh, gut pile stains in the road like right. in, in a row right. like 10, 10 20 yeah. yards apart mm-hmm. from where you've called in elk to that same or moose to that same spot right. it's, it's quite remarkable um, so that that's another thing that I think is so interesting and particularly you know having hunted a, the same spot year over year mm-hmm. is that those animals almost pattern identically oh yeah totally like, like it's incredible that they there's only two ways that moose come into that spot and for the most part they react or act exactly the same each time. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts why why that is? Um, well, I mean, their their ga- their game trails. You know, I, I think I learned a, a long time ago, actually, um, mo- mo- mostly when I was deer hunting, that you know there was times where I would uh, shoot a deer and he would uh, get away, but of course I'm going to track it down, and and there the first few years I didn't have really. The experience, or it just, and it wasn't until I deer hunted for probably about uh, 10, 12 years that I realized even when they're wounded, they're following escape routes. Yeah. And so uh, don't don't go any don't go all over Hell's Half Acre, so to speak, trying to find where this deer. Go in the general direction, find a game trail, and follow it. Keep your nose to the ground on that game trail. And you'll usually, usually you might have to work one or two or three game trails, but whoops, you'll find a spot of blood. Yeah. And uh, so the moose are the same, elk are the same. They they, they follow generally um, the, their beaten paths that their you know their mums and dads and their grandpas and yeah, whatever yeah. else and and you know that that they. Same rings true for all almost all wild game that I can think of. Totally, and I think that's what makes, like that's why that's a successful spot because there's a, there's a there's a connectivity between a few game trails that come through in that right. one spot. Yeah, and and it's funny because when I look at, I mean, the river to them is a game trail. I think yes. in that spot, and and uh, and it's just a comfortable zone for them. They just feel comfortable wandering down, down the middle of the river there, and and those sandbars are just part of their habitat they like to come show mm-hmm. they display on those um it's an yeah. interesting thing is how there's actually two sandbars that we looked at down there which I, I think it's the same for a lot of different moose mm-hmm. habitat where there's open areas where 
uh, where a moose can step out into an open area and then they display, they actually walk in almost like a circle, like a 360 degree circle and they, and they tip their antlers back and forth while they grunt. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a, it's a display of some kind when they're coming into a call mm-hmm. and, uh, it, it, but it's remarkable that they, they do it in the same spot mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they, well, you know, in, the, in, the, in that particular area, uh, uh, the cover is close to the sandbars. Like, they, they're not, they feel so safe in that environment that, like, it's, 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 um, I, I've tried to tell people, like, I remember a couple of friends of mine, they were, they were hunting and they were trying to call and it wasn't working that well for them, but they had set up with at least a 300-yard fringe of, of marsh or open slash, and they couldn't really understand why that moose didn't want to come any further. And it's, it's actually, it's fairly easy. That moose was, is not going to, you got to think, you, you've been calling, and, uh, and the moose has come to the edge, and it's like, where are you? Like, okay, I don't even see you. Like, we're, you know, so they're trying to figure out things and it doesn't feel right to them. Now, if you had like what we just got from Cabela's, that would work. Oh, the good. decoy, yeah. That yeah. decoy, if you've put that up in advance on the, the edge, so to speak, the moose says, oh, okay, I've got something to go to. There, there she is. This is conf- confirmation in his mind. And he's feeling, okay, there's, there's a moose there. I'm coming. Yeah. But before that, he'd be thinking, okay, well, I've, you know, I've come to your call and you are, where are you? Exactly. Right? Yeah. So the only way that would work is if you've made a plan. And the plan would have to include having the shooter at that opposite edge. Where that oh, the tree line where he's exactly most likely to come where to. he's yeah. supposed to come to. So depending upon wind, um, that shooter's going to have to go one way or the other from where that moose is going to be coming. Yeah. So that he can set up a shop, so to speak, and uh, be in a good position to take that moose in a broadside shot once he gets close to the tree line. So it won't matter. He doesn't have to come out into the marsh anymore. He just needs to come to the edge come to the of edge, the timber. Yeah. Yeah, for a clear shot. So that's where you have to set up as the shooter in a spot that is mm-hmm. going to be advantageous to you. I think that's the biggest mistake that I see um, with elk hunting for sure. Even deer hunting, like I know that for years I used to do this with like rattling, like I used to rattle for right. whitetails. Right. And I would set up because I would set up. So first of all, I try setting up with with kind of a cliff or or in a, in a barrier downwind. So there was a, so that. The animals couldn't get downwind of me, that they'd be forced to come in right. upwind of me. So I would have something that was like a cliff mm-hmm. or something like that behind me. Um, and I would never get animals to come in on, on my rattling. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, okay, why don't I have a big opening behind me? So mm-hmm. that I, if, so if they're going to come in behind me downwind, then they'll have to come into an opening where I can see them. Right. Well, that doesn't work either. Mm-hmm. Because they, they don't care. They're not going to come wandering out into an opening mm-hmm. just to uh, uh, to try and figure out who you are. Those, mm-hmm. they just want, they're not that curious. They're not going to mm-hmm. they're not going to get they're going to put themselves at risk. So I wasn't successful at rattling until I started to put thick and shitty on unco- uh, cover where they actually mm-hmm. want to come in. 
Yeah. They want to. They, if they hear rattling, yeah. they're going to come in downwind of you, and, and they're most likely to come in in thick cover. And the only hope you have is if you spot them working their way through that thick cover and you can see them. Yeah. So it's the same thing for for moose and elk. Like the mm-hmm. thicker the and, the and shittier the cover is, the more comfortable they are. Oh, totally. Working their way in around you. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to if you're trying to ask a moose to walk out through an open clear cut, good luck or an open yeah. swamp. Like it's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, like you might on, on on that one day when it's just going bonkers in the rut, and maybe you've got a yeah. decoy standing out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe that maybe they'll come out, but they're not going to yeah. be comfortable. You're better off setting up yeah. somewhere like where there's a couple openings in that covered nastiness, mm-hmm. so they're only one step away from the cover, yeah. where they step out in the opening. And I think that's one of the reasons why the grassy knoll spot yeah. has a couple of those perfect shooting corners, but mm-hmm. generally speaking, it's yeah. it's really got that cover that they're, that mm-hmm. makes them feel comfortable. I've had a few times, um, well, actually quite a few times, where uh, a satellite bull or... Uh, somewhat smaller than the average satellite bull. So, so, so on that obviously is only say two and a half years old. He could be three and a half, but he's usually two and a half. Just a very small spread, but he's nowhere near m- being able to mate or successfully be accepted by a female. But I've actually had them run out, looking around, and then I let out a call, and I got it on film. Let out a call and they actually ran nonstop from five, six, seven hundred yard distance without stopping, yeah. just flying. But that's not typical. It's but it is uh, something that you'll see exhibited by a smaller young bull. That's like, ooh, yeah, maybe here's my chance to get in there and get a sniff. Yeah, before Bullwinkle beats the hell out of me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So once in a while, but by and large, by yeah. and large, it doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah, by and large, like making sure that you're hunting in places that moose feel comfortable hanging around, yeah. and uh, and setting up. Well, I see here just to get the clock. We've been chatting here for forty nine minutes. Mm. So, what we should do here, just because it, I think it's interesting. Yeah. Why don't you give us a couple of your 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 sexiest cow calls? Okay. Just to wrap things up here. Okay. And to go with all, the, hopefully, a bit of information we've shared okay. with people. Um. If, if I've been calling with the uh, typical low calls and I don't get any responses and I also want to uh, step up the game, so to speak. Yeah, reach a little bit farther. Reach right? a little, well, reach a little further and get a little more mournful and lonely and that kind of stuff to, it's like, I'll, uh, I'll use calls like something like this. And it'll be that long and that mournful and painful. I feel I feel I feel like but, you need company right now. But but, what, but 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 I need a boyfriend. <laughs> is is what here. basically it's like I'm putting pretty much the signals out there. Come on, guys, I'm step lonely. up your game. I'm right. here. Yeah. Come and get me. Yeah. So that and I will get louder than that when okay. if I don't get a response after that. Hey, how long do you wait? So you 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 fire up that call. How long do you wait to you to you to you call again if you haven't heard anything? Uh, I I sometimes don't wait much longer than uh, just a few minutes. 
And um, and I, I think you're going to get a little bit, maybe, not necessarily an argument, but there's going to be uh, differences of opinion from, from, from different hunters. But this much I can tell you. I've heard cows that want a boyfriend. Uh, you know, they, they yeah. want company. They are in heat. And I've heard them calling like that for uh, actually uh, several hours in a morning where there is obviously no bull around. And uh, they'll, they'll, they'll call like that for perhaps a full minute or two. You won't hear anything for a few minutes, and then it starts up again. And this will, I'm t- I'd, I'd probably, I'd say two to three hour time frame, I heard this till it started to get quite late in the morning, then nothing. Then um, after the heat of the day subsides and we're getting towards evening, I'll hear them ramp up their game again. Yeah. And um, so, so, so I would say to many people, I would say, no, it's, it's okay to call that much at times. Yeah. When you're not getting any yeah. responses, um, then go ahead, try it. Yeah. I mean, what do you yeah. got to lose? Yeah, the, the only thing you... So with, with Elkin, one of the things that I think about when I'm calling more than... Uh, like what I'm calling consistently is that every time you call, you're pinpointing yourself. Right. So, so, you're, so you're putting a lock on where, you're, where you are. And, and in some cases, it's, it's, it's kind of good to have the bull still looking for you, mm-hmm. looking around for you, because right. they're, they're still coming and they're not sure if you're 25 yards away or... 150 yards away so they're still poking around looking and mm-hmm. that might be a good chance to to right. get to get sneak in on them and get a shot right if that's what you're trying to do right so but yeah i, I you know if that's i mean that's i've heard cows call and it's consistent it's mm-hmm. consistently whining along and mm-hmm. and the only reason to take a break for me would be to you know have them start sneaking in and you if you're calling too a lot you don't hear everything because mm-hmm. you're because you're busy making noise right so you yeah. may not hear them and clue into where they are but and, and I'd like to mention too, Dylan, that once I get uh, a response after this rather animated uh, display of yeah, well, sexiness, you know, yeah. sexiness, I guess, or whatever, um, that once I hear them, and that's happened quite a few t- many times, once I hear them, okay, well, it's like, oh, okay. Like you don't have to continue this type of calling. What you're going to be doing is switching it up to, because he knows where you are now. So now you've sent the shooter to to the appropriate area, if you will, or you've moved and you've left the so shooter. You've, you've sent the you sent the you shooter s- out to flank. Yeah, for you, you. You've, you're setting yourself up, and now you're going to change to because he's going to want some direction as he comes in from, you know, a half mile distance, or now he's down to a few hundred yards. So you're going to let out some uh, direction for him to 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 come to. No, so as long as you stay, of course, hidden and you've got the shooter in place, then this plan should work. <coughs> you follow me? Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, no, I mean, that, and that makes a ton of sense. So once you've heard that response and he's coming in, you just shut up. Uh, you, you, yeah, basically, you've, you've changed to, you, you've, he, he, he knows you've, where you are. And now he's like, he'd probably be wondering, like, why are you still, like, I'm, I'm coming. Like, you know, you don't have to go on this huge act like you're dying or nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you can switch it up to, oh, oh, 
Kind of central. It's a little call. It's just, okay, yeah, I know you're on your way. The, keep the mood going. Keep a little. the mood going, and uh, and he's he's gonna feel comfortable. It's like okay, I, I I'm ready. I'm I'm over here now, and you're just yeah. helping him in. Yeah. Until, you know, hopefully you've helped little, him pass little, the shooter. Yeah. Perfect. So what happens if if he gets hung up? Say if he gets hung up somewhere along the way, and he starts to get a little bit mm-hmm. apprehensive about coming in. Do you have any? Do you have any? Do you, do you switch up to a bull call, or do you just do you keep coaching them in with your um, with your sexy cow calls? Or it, it, t- typically, I've that hasn't happened to me very often where he, he he's gotten hung up and he's just undecisive as to whether or not he's going to come. He senses there's something's not right. There's 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 a lot of things that could 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 happen, and um, so I mean I. I haven't had a great, great deal of success calling like, like, like a bull kind of thing. Um, some of my dad has a couple times. Uh, other friends of mine have, have brought them in by switching it up to to a bull call. Um, I, it, you know, there's there's a lot of times. Uh, the uh, bull will hang up. It's uh, it's a it's a younger bull. And if you use a bull call, you'll actually, he'll turn flight. Yeah, yeah. Um, he feels challenged. He, he feels challenged. Off. So he's probably not going to. But if you've got a bigger, mature bull that he may actually own that territory already, he may have fought off already a competitor or two or more. If he owns the, uh, the, the joint, so to speak, he may very well come readily to the scraping and... Um, it's, so you see a scrape and you're talking about uh, using, uh, a, yeah, using a scapula or, um, or an antler on a an bush or something. On yeah. a brush. Uh, I like to break, uh, break uh, progressively heavier branches kind of thing and then start thrashing the willows and stuff like that with, uh, with a paddle. A paddle is very effective, especially when I'm drifting along the river or stuff like that. I will uh, um, sometimes just quickly clang, if you will, uh, the overhanging willows with a paddle. And that is uh, a sound that, uh, you know, is, is definitely will attract. A, it's a moosey sound. It, yeah. It's a moosey sound. And um, so, the, yeah, I just haven't had very much experience with bulls hanging up, so to speak. I, they, they usually come and we get... With the cow call, you know. With the cow yeah. calling. So I don't have to re- resort to what I would call more of a last-ditch effort to bring them out kind yeah, of Yeah, so putting on a bull display where you're, you're, scrat- you're, you're, you're mm-hmm. rubbing vegetation with antlers or scapula and uh, using the bull grunt, yeah. yeah. Um, I've had a couple of experiences where, I, where I've jumped a bull or mm-hmm. pushed a bull when I've moved into an area and they've taken off and then I've use the bull call to bring them back. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, that's, that's worked well for me a few times. And, mm-hmm. um, and I have some friends who hunt a little bit later into October and they use the bull call a lot and, and a lot mm-hmm. of, and a lot of, uh, scraping and, uh, and rubbing, uh, mm-hmm. to, to draw bulls back in. I don't know mm-hmm. if they're more aggressive later in, in October or, I mean, I think at the end of the day, what I'm what I'm hearing from you is you've got a system that works really well, mm-hmm. and and it revolves around using the cow call effectively, mm-hmm. and, and with the right setup, with that right frame of mind of just coaxing them in with it with an effective cow call and under mm-hmm. the right conditions, it, it can be very successful. Oh, totally, 
And see, there's another thing that um, maybe that we didn't um, talk about, uh, which is um, a second uh, peak period of activity during the rut. Like there's there's the intense first activity, which usually starts around the 28th, 29th of September, lasts for generally five, six days. And then there's what... I some people call it a, a rest that this is what I call it a rest period. I mean basically if you ran around like like some of these bulls yeah, do yeah, super uh, active. you need to take a break. Yeah. Uh because eventually you're gonna be quite hungry. You're yeah. gonna be worn down because you've not eaten. Yeah. Because you waited all year for this big event. Yeah. It's part and now it's on you. It's like okay, now my tongue's hanging out because I'm an old timer at this. Yeah. So there will typically be a four or five day period where nothing's coming. It's like the country's dead. And then all of a sudden around the 6th, 7th, 8th of October, they're coming again very readily. And, and I, I mean, I'm not a biologist, but I've, I've heard and I believe that, that there's some cows that either don't take or weren't. Uh, successfully bred in the first, if you will, estrus period. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I'm t- like I said, I, I, I don't know 100%, but I'm pretty sure that I believe what I've heard from a lot of other hunters that this second period um, is um, basically it's nature's way of assuring that the females are going to get the females that weren't bred are going to get bred. Yeah. Or a second kick at the cans. Yeah. So there's still a lot of competition from those, that the bulls that are out there to, to challenge for these last couple, yeah. last couple cows that may not have been bred. Yeah, I've heard a lot about the second estrus around, you know, in, in, in later into October. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that makes a bit of sense to see. And, and mm-hmm. I, I do have some friends that are very successful mm-hmm. hunting towards the middle of October, which surprises me because I'm kind of, right. I, I'm kind of sold on this whole idea of hunting for what I, what I understand to be the, the, the peak of the rut, which is mm-hmm. around the 28th of September and the, the week leading up to that, which is the, the, the pre-rut activity. Mm-hmm. And then right. where we've done really well in the first sort of few days of October, which is, I think, still that peak or just yep. post-rut period where the where I see the bulls kind of running around. Um, having had a little bit of action at the mm-hmm. end of September, they're still super aggressive yeah. for the first week of October and then it dies off. So... That's my understanding of it. Yeah. 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 For sure. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been really great to have you hanging out in yeah, my living room awesome. and having a, having a cider with you. And thanks so much for hanging out with me at Cabela's this evening and, and oh, sharing I some of your I enjoyed it notes. very much. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Well, I think we've gone on for an hour here and I hope we've put something together here that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's helpful for uh, the folks at home to, mm-hmm. that have enjoyed that. So anyway, so thanks so much, everybody, and putting up for with me. And here's Claire is bouncing around off the walls again here. So we're going to take it for a <laughs> walk. And uh, we'll check in with you all soon on the, the next Eat Wild podcast. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Thank you.